0: Thanks for joining us at our Foothills Church podcast. We exist to help people find and follow Jesus. If you're new here, we'd love to connect with you at foothills.cc. We hope you enjoy this message. If I've not met you, my name is Kevin and I serve as one of the pastors here. And today we're going to be continuing a series we're in called Reset. And so recently, one of the things that I've been working on resetting over the last few months is just some of my physical health. I decided to um, jump in with a group of guys to train to run a couple of races. We're going to do some trail run, and then we're going to do a a half marathon. And so, been running a little bit, and I made the mistake of picking a partner, uh, My partner, his name's Dalton, and the, the reason this is a mistake is because Dalton's 21 years old, okay, and this is like the first time in my life that I feel a little bit older. <laughs> I, I feel like I've been like lucky enough to this point to feel like the young guy in a situation or, or in a room. But in my 30s, recovery and running is very different than when I was 21. And I feel that gap when I am running with my buddy Dalton. And not only that, as, as I got a couple months into this, I was having a conversation with Pastor Greg about just some of my, some of my goals, some of my fitness goals. And he was like, man, if all you're doing is running, that's, that's not gonna cut it. You gotta, you gotta throw in some resistance training, weight training. So uh, my cardio was already in shape. So I went in the gym and I hit a leg day as if I'd been working out for five years. I mean, like I went after it and I have PTSD still from that leg day. <laughs> It was like one of those. It was like one of those where, like, Katie and I, if we're downstairs and it's time to head up to bed, I'm like, babe, why don't you go on ahead of me? Because it's gonna take me about 15 minutes to get up the stairs, and you don't know how to approach the stairs. Like, you go with this foot first. It's like one stair at a time. It's that no, that's not gonna work. Let's do. Do I go backwards? Like, how do I, how do I do this right? Well, as I'm recovering from this, two days later, Dalton and I have another run that we got to do, and he's like, oh, I invited our buddy uh, Kyle to come join us. So now the macho in me is like, all right. Look, I know you feel like you can't do this, but you got to get out there and you got to run with these guys. So we go and the whole time, man, these guys are in great shape. They're carrying on a conversation and I'm like heaving and dying (laughs) on the inside. I'm trying not to reveal it, but like I am like just holding on for dear life and we're running where there's a loop that kind of passes our car every so often, it's like around every half mile. And we finally come to a point, we usually run three miles where I was like, you know what? I'm not trying to impress anybody anymore, I'm done. I'm tapped out, I've done all I can. As we approached the car, I'm like, guys, y'all crush it. I'm about to go lay down and like take a nap uh, for a while because I got to recover. As soon as I said that, Dalton's like, dude, no problem. Hey, Kyle, all we got left is 0.2 miles. As soon as he said that, my mindset shifted now. I'm like, wait a minute, that's all I got left, 0.2 miles? I've gone 2.8, all I got left is 0.2. The pain started to subside. You know what I did? I finished running and I felt proud about it. You know, I was excited. I was excited. Listen, this, this points out an important principle about information. Information has the ability to influence your level of confidence in a situation. If you are trying to achieve something, if you've got a a goal or something that you're going after, information can influence you and, and better put, it can motivate you by finding out that all I had left was point two, like that gave me motivation that I could complete this. And this could be true in, in any situation. Maybe something you're walking through, a healing process. Maybe you had some, some work done on, on, like I've had knee surgery before. As I got to the tail end of, of that recovery process, the closer I got that information kind of motivated me to get moving and start walking again. Or maybe if you like reading a book, when you hit that last chapter, it's like, oh, I got one chapter left. I can be motivated by this. This is exciting. The same is true in the negative. Information can influence your level of confidence, which means information can demotivate your level of confidence. If when we're running and we pass that car, if Dalton had looked at Kyle and said, bro, all we got left is two miles, that would have been a hard no. (laughs) I would have been done. I would have been done right there. I got one mile done. I still have two miles. There's absolutely no way. And the same can be true about something that you might be going after. If there is a goal or objective, information can demotivate you in the process. Our mind is a powerful tool and and information is the fuel that can help you overcome a challenge, overcome an obstacle, overcome a limitation, or information can be the thing that spells defeat or brings fear and keeps you from accomplishing that, and we see this right now every time, we, every 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 year. At this time, we see people start to be demotivated by the information in front of them. A lot of people, a lot of you in this room set some new year's resolutions to start the year. And now as we approach the end of January and into middle February, this is where most people fall off. It's it's said that, that over 80% of people who make a new year's resolution are unable to complete it or follow through. And what's happening is right now, information is affecting you. I heard someone say one time that when it comes to goals or, or achievements, something that we do as humans is we tend to overestimate short-term progress and underestimate long-term progress. I'm gonna say that again. We overestimate what can happen in the short-term and we underestimate what can happen in the long-term. And as you're getting going, maybe you had a financial goal and you're coming close to the end of January and you've restricted your finances differently. It's not the most fun way to live. And three weeks into January, guess what? Your debt didn't just disappear. You didn't magically have something that came in like an outside gift or some some type of miracle to help like it just poof and gone. So you're still looking at this mountain to climb and that information can be demotivating or maybe the six pack abs didn't show up right away now. It's three weeks in and you're wondering like, is this all for nothing? Am I changing my eating habits or am I changing my approach to working out for, for no reason? Information is a powerful tool. And listen, what I want you to know is that the Bible talks a lot about our mindset because we have an enemy who knows that information is a powerful tool in your life. And there's an enemy who wants to use information to demotivate you from the best life that God has for you. He's out to steal kill, and destroy. And he wants to keep you from all of God's great gifts for you here on this side of heaven. And he attacks your mind. The apostle Paul said it like this in Second Corinthians, Corinthians, sorry, chapter 10 says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Here's what I know about every single individual in this room, every single individual in this room, you have aspirations, ambition, and goals. You may have specific goals that you've set for this year that you're still trying to go after, maybe New Year's resolutions, or maybe you haven't defined goals in your life, but deep down, you have some hopes. Maybe you have hopes of where you could be a year from now or five years from now. Maybe you have hopes of what's going on in your marriage that maybe maybe it could turn around or you could find health in your marriage again. Or maybe you have hopes that that addiction that you've been walking with for 15, 20, 25 years, that maybe, just maybe, this could be the year that starts a turnaround and you could overcome that addiction. Every single one of us, whether we've got defined goals or not, we all have hopes. And there is an enemy who wants to come against the knowledge of God in your life to keep you from walking in the freedom that Christ has for you to experience those hopes. And Paul tells us that when those thoughts come, we're to take them captive and make them obedient to Christ. So to look at someone who has walked in this in scripture today, I wanna look at a very familiar story. If you're here and you didn't grow up in church, or you don't have a church background, or you've never read the Bible, you have probably heard at least this story before or heard, about, or heard about this story before. And if you're here and you've heard this story a hundred times, I want to invite you to do something. I want to invite you to ask God to show you something new and give you a new perspective as we dig in. If you've got your Bibles, let's go to First Samuel 17. It's going to be on the screen, but we're going to be looking at the story of David and Goliath. I'll give you a spoiler alert. When When I talked to my daughter this morning before I left the house, I said, you know what daddy is talking to uh, church about today? What? It's like your favorite story. She's like David and Goliath. It's like, yeah. And then spoiler alert. I said, Haley, who wins? She goes, David. That's right. David wins. David wins. That's the spoiler alert. What's happening when this battle takes place. Israel has made their home in the promised land and they've lived there for quite some time, quite a few generations at this point. And, What they had recently done is they started to look at other nations around them that had strong military, strong armies, and they started to worry that that might be a threat. And so they wanted to make sure that that they they were strong in this and, 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 and had enough muscle to fight back. And so they cried out to God and asked for a king. And God said, okay. And so they appointed a king and and their king's name was Saul. And they picked Saul because he looked the part. He was a warrior. He was a head taller than anyone else in Israel. And he fought well. They were able to fight off a lot of enemies and win a lot of battles. But now they're in this war with the Philistines and inside of this war, Um, These are some giants that they're facing. There's a particular giant that steps out and challenges them in a one-on-one fight to the death. This is Goliath. Now, when Goliath steps out, the scriptures give us a a, a description of him. He's about nine foot six inches roughly, okay? It's huge. It's two feet taller than, than the tallest basketball player. And it describes his weight and 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 the weight of the armor that he was carrying. So when you picture nine foot six, I don't want you to picture like tall and lanky and thin. This dude, this dude w- was was beefed up. He was jacked. He was probably four or five hundred pounds roughly. And he's carrying like two to three hundred pounds of armor, stepping out, I mean, strong. and he's challenging. He's challenging Israel in a one-on-one fight to the death. Now, why would, he, why would he do that in the middle of a war? Well, here's the deal. When there was two armies that fought in this day and age, the winning army The winning nation would inherit the other nation's able-bodied men to join their army. So this was a really efficient way to fight. If you could go one-on-one, then more people are alive to join your team, so to speak. So this is why this is happening. And let's jump in first Samuel 17, 10 through 11. Then the Philistine said, this day, I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other on hearing the Philistine's words. Saul, And all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. The king that they had appointed to be their muscle, to be their hope, to drive away the enemy, they saw their king terrified and dismayed by this obstacle, this challenge that came and presented himself in Goliath. And so the whole nation, is terrified and dismayed information has come into the picture that has influenced their level of confidence greatly and it's demotivated them so where does David come into this story well while this is happening David is at home he's a shepherd he's taking care of his, his father's sheep his flock there and his father's name's Jesse David has three older brothers who are in the Israelite army. So they're present when this is taking place, but David has, has not reached the age where he can go. He's still, he's still a young teen. And so um, his father comes to him and tells him, David, I want to send you with some food. I want you to go get a report about your brothers. Let's, let's read. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed he reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle position, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. So David left his things with the keeper of supplies and ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. I I like to think that David, he wanted to know how they were, but he's watching like they're lining up. And he's a young teen that, that has hopes and aspirations to one day be in the Israelite army. Like this would be awesome. And now he's like, whoa. This is happening right now. Like, I got to go to the front line. I got to go and see this. I got to see my bros. I got I to gotta get a look at what's going on. And, and then he sees, as we keep reading, as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. We also learn in this story, by the way, that Goliath had been doing this for 40 days, twice a day, twice a day. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. David sees this giant step out. And what David's thinking is, I'm about to see someone stand against God's army and get destroyed. This is gonna be awesome. That is a Philistine and we're the army of the living God. This is amazing. And what did he see? He saw that information demotivate his brothers, the king that they were looking to and the entire army, fearful and dismayed. But David had a different type of confidence. He had a different type of information that was motivating him. And so he chose to get involved. He decided, I'll go fight. As we see, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul argues a little bit, we'll read this in a moment, but he kind of, he almost encourages David, like you, you probably shouldn't be doing this, but David pushed back. He felt very confident. And as the story goes, Saul tried to dress him in, in his armor to get him ready for battle as he would. And David put it all on. He's like, this doesn't fit me. This isn't how I'm wired. I can't go fight this guy the way you would. And I've been trained formally about this stuff. What I, what I do have is I've got some, some stones and and my sling, and and I know how to do that. So I'm gonna step out with what I know because God's on my side. And he went out and stepped face to face with Goliath and and, and Goliath is is offended. He's like offended that they would send this young teen boy. Goliath, the scripture tells us that Goliath began running at David as they're facing each other. This obstacle, this giant, like the ground probably is shaking. He is running, sprinting at David. And what did David do? The scriptures tell us that David sprinted right back at him. And then he came to a stop and he grabbed a stone. He stuck it in his sling. And with one shot, he slayed the giant. He won the battle in front of all of Israel. He brought victory and his confidence allowed him to overcome an obstacle that even the king that they appointed that looked the part couldn't bring. And that the army that had been trained couldn't bring. It was through David. I believe that a lot of it had to do with the mindset he had in his relationship with God. And I think there's a couple things that we could learn from this story today that I'd love for us to dig into. Number one is this. We need to reset how we view history. Reset how you view history. In verse four, there's a detail in here about Goliath that I want to point out. It says that a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. Champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. Camp. Now real quick, let's, let's talk about Gath. Gath is located inside of their nation, inside of, of the limits of, of the promised land that God has provided. And there's a history of giants being in this land and Israel coming face to face with these giants, even in their ancestral history of some of the greatest leaders that they would tell stories of. One of, those, one of those times was under Moses's leadership. This was the greatest leader in Israel history that they wanted to make sure they knew every story. Moses led the Israelites out of oppression and slavery. They spent time in the wilderness and were approaching a promised land that God had for them. And before they entered Moses, they decided to, to send 12 spies in to check out the land. And when those 12 spies went in, two of them were confident. They looked around and were excited about what God was blessing them with. But 10 of them were terrified because they saw the giants. They saw an obstacle that they felt like they couldn't overcome. Just just like the Israelite army that we're seeing in this story, they saw these giants and thought, we're just gonna go in here and be destroyed. We can't even approach. So when they went back to to the wilderness where the Israelite camp was, they struck fear into the entire nation. This entire nation missed out on the promised land that God had promised them. They missed out, except for the two that had confidence. And then if we flash forward, Joshua was one of those two men. Joshua would, would, would take the reins as leader in Israel and he would begin leading them into the promised land. And they slayed a lot of giants. They won a lot of wars and took a lot of ground that God had promised them. But if we look in Joshua chapter 11, verse 22, it says, No Anakites, and real quick, Anakites is a description of these giants in scripture, okay? No Anakites were left in Israelite territory, only in Gaza. What's that second town say? Gath and Ashdod. Did any survive? Like Joshua's crew took care of most, but allowed a pocket, allowed a pocket of this group to stick around. And that is this exact group that generations later has Goliath and sets up this scene. History can influence us greatly especially when it has to do with our ancestry, You may have heard the term generational sin. When there is something that your family line, your parents or their parents have struggled to overcome, when there's an obstacle that they couldn't defeat, that information can have a heavy influence on your level of confidence to walk in what God has for you. It can demotivate you because if, if they couldn't overcome it, how, how could you? If, if they couldn't defeat this giant, how could you? David on the flip side, didn't choose to allow the history of these giants sticking around to to be what messed with his mind, he said he chose to listen to the history of what God did provide, where God did follow through, whereas Joshua entered, they did win wars. And and David chose to think about the two that that had faith. And not only did David choose to to see the history of what God did that was good, he chose to learn from what what man showed us in, in their weakness was bad, right? He chose to learn from his ancestral history. And not only that, The scriptures show us that David drew strength from his own history with God. As as he steps forward and says, I will fight, Saul warns him that he shouldn't. And so David draws on his history of God's faithfulness in this conversation. Let's jump back to the passage. This is 17, 32 through 37. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. David didn't go from zero to hero, okay? David didn't have no experience. He had experiences of God's faithfulness and he chose to draw from that strength. I wanna encourage you on something this morning. I want to encourage you to begin paying attention to how history, whether it's your history, your family's history, history around you, how is that history influencing your level of confidence? Is it motivating your level of confidence or is it demotivating? Is it standing against, as Paul would say, standing against the knowledge of God If so, I wanna encourage you to take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ, just as Paul says. We gotta review or or reset how we look at history. The second second thing is we gotta reset where we focus. Reset where you focus. The reason that David had those accounts of God's faithfulness in his history is because David stayed focused on his current assignment, David remained focused where his feet were. I want you to think about this for a moment. David was the youngest. He had three older brothers that had all gotten to go off and join the army. David wants to be a part of that. Now he's the, the lone one left and he's got all these chores. <laughs> he's got he's to take care of the sheep while his brothers are going, going off and they're getting to be a part of God's army. They're the warriors. This is, this is what he longs for. This is what he, he would desire is to be a part of God's army. But today God's got him present as a shepherd and David chose to be faithful. David didn't choose to, to, to try and deceive his way out of this or, or quickly move beyond this or run away from this task. He stayed faithful with this task. And we see his faithfulness in this task by the way that he even transitions to go check on his brothers. It tells us when he left at 1 Samuel 17, 20, it says early in the morning, David left the flock in care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse directed. Like he was even faithful to make sure when I need like go to check on my brothers, I need to make sure the sheep are gonna be okay. I I need to make sure that even my current responsibilities are covered. So I'm gonna make sure that they're in the care of someone else. David was focused where... His feet were, and that was important because had he not been, he might've missed those opportunities to see God's faithfulness when the lions and the bears came up. David was also focused on the size of his God when everyone else in this Israelite army, including the king, was focused on the size of the obstacle. Interesting fact. Goliath is given more physical description than any other character in the entire Bible. Like we know more detail about Goliath's physical description down to his weight, his height, what he carried around, his yell, (laughs) his defiance. He's given a lot of description. You know why? Because Israelite thought a lot about all of this. They talked a lot about all of this. This is the account of the history that was, that was written down. And God wanted us to, to know, like they, they knew details about how big their enemy was, how great their obstacle was. They focused a lot on their enemy. This is, this is how the scriptures describe him. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Phil- Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span, again, nine feet, about nine feet, six inches. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves, a bronze javelin slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. There's a lot of thought and description into the size of this obstacle. There's a lot of information that was demotivating Israel. David didn't focus on the size of his obstacle. He focused on the size of his God. Someone recently pointed out something to me I've never noticed in this story. Without this story, I would encourage you to go and spend some time reading at 1 Samuel 17. David only makes two observations about Goliath, only two observations. He makes one almost asking like, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? This is how he describes the uncircumcised Philistine that, that would defy the armies of the living, like who, who, who is this? And even that observation was more about the power of God and, and who Goliath was actually going against. And then later he makes an observation to Goliath's face. He tells them like, you come at me with, with, with a spear and a javelin. Okay, that's great. But I come against you with the power of the living God. Again, just a little observation about you, but I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna back that up with the observation about my God. Only two observations about his obstacle or his enemy. There are nine observations made out of David's mouth about the size of his God and the power of his God. Nine observations about his God, two about his obstacle. We could put it this way David had four times as many thoughts about God as he did about his enemy or his obstacle. He gave four times the amount of thought to who was with him as opposed to what he was standing against and what was against him. We've all got hopes. We've all got hopes. And I believe there's an enemy who wants to stand in the way and send obstacles your way. Stand in the gap from where you want to be and where you are. And he wants the information of that obstacle to overwhelm you and demotivate you from being confident that God can help you overcome. And I believe as Christians, um, when these situations present themselves, maybe it's a problem or specific person or I don't know. But when it presents itself, you know what we do well is we, we go to God and we talk to him about the size of our problem. Like we're good at running to God and, and talking to him about it. Like, God, I've got, I've got this issue in my marriage and I just, I don't know. God, the, these bills, like, I, I don't know how, how, how I'm going to be able to cut it. Like, the income's not there. This doesn't, this doesn't balance out. This doesn't, this doesn't come together. God, I don't know how I'm going to. God, this addiction, I've tried. I've tried again and again and again. God, this is huge. This is overwhelming. We come and talk to God about the size of our problems. And listen to me. That's not bad. But I wonder what would happen if we followed David's David's example and we flipped the script on this thing. And instead of going and talking to God about the size of our problem, what if you started going straight up to your problem and talking to it about the size of your God? What if you turned to your problem and said, you know what? You're standing, you're standing against the living God. He's on my side. He's on my side. And maybe, maybe this addiction has plagued you for 20 years. And maybe it feels even more giant than it ever has. Guess what? God's bigger than that. He's greater than that. He's for you. Maybe this situation in your marriage, maybe you made a mistake and you just feel like, I can't come back from this one. I can't overcome this one. Guess what? God is on your side. And he's way bigger than the gap that's been created because of your sin. If I could sum up the whole message this way, if you could remember... Nothing else I say, but if you, if you just remembered this, it'd be just this truth. When, when God occupies more thoughts than our obstacles, obstacles turn into opportunities. I just want to say it again. My prayer is that, that, that God would bring this to your mind the next time you're walking through a situation that feels like your obstacle is just overwhelming. When God occupies more thoughts than your obstacles, your obstacles turn into opportunities. God has the power to help you overcome. And listen, I, I, don't wanna, I don't wanna put like a false truth out there. There may be things that you're hoping to achieve, maybe goals you've got or, or things you're hoping to, to overcome. It may not be God's plan that you overcome those things. So what I'm, what I'm not saying is when God occupies more thoughts than your obstacles, that you'll always have your victory, but you will always have his victory. You will always fall into his plan, which is better than your plan anyways. And that obstacle will be an opportunity for you to see the power of God and the presence of God in your life in the midst of this situation. Let's read what Paul said again, Second Corinthians ten three through five. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. Javelin and a spear, Mm-mm. On the contrary, they have divine power. Divine power. God's power to demolish strongholds and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. How much time are your obstacles or your enemies consuming your mind? What if we followed Paul's encouragement here and we started to take those thoughts captive and make it obedient to Christ? And what if we started to replace those thoughts with his word? And it may just be the Bible app, just like the verse of the day. I'm just gonna gonna sit and read that verse of the day multiple times today. It may be just five minutes with him. It may be a moment of prayer. God, remind me of, of who you really are, of how much greater you are than this thought. Like begin taking those thoughts captive, making them obedient to Christ. What could happen in your marriage if tomorrow you woke up and the thoughts that are overwhelming you, if you just surrendered them to Christ and said, Christ, I I can't do this on my own. I'm gonna need your strength. Help me see who you are, how powerful you are, and remind me that you're for me. When God occupies more thoughts than our obstacles, obstacles turn into opportunities. The greatest obstacle that has happened in your life and in my life is the obstacle that stands in between us and communion with God. and That's our sin. Our sin has separated us from a righteous and holy God. And there's absolutely nothing you can do or I can do on our own strength. We could spend a lot of time thinking about how to get over that obstacle to get back to God or to make up for the bad we have done. Unfortunately, that's not how it works. That's not how it's gonna work. But God had an opportunity inside of that obstacle. And he chose to take that opportunity to send his only son for you. And his only son lived a perfect righteous life that didn't deserve death. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is, is death. That's the obstacle that stands in our way. Jesus overcame sin, did not deserve death, but humbled himself to a sinner's death on a cross for you because he's crazy about you. A.W. Tozer says this, he says, what you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Maybe today it's time to surrender your thoughts and say, Jesus, I need you to save me. I've been trying to achieve things on my own. I've been trying to achieve the best life on my own and it still ain't cutting it. Still ain't working. But maybe this is true. If your heart's beating a little more this morning, I want you to know something. That's the Lord reaching out for you. And you could call him Savior today. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite you to do that if you would like. God, I just recognize that my sin created an obstacle that I'll never be able to overcome. And I recognize that it separated me from you. But God, I'm gonna choose to think about your truth this morning. That Jesus, you took my place on that cross. And in your death, burial, and resurrection, I can have hope to be reunited with God. To have the fullness of your forgiveness wash over me. The fullness of your grace wash over me. Wash the shame away. Wash the guilt away. Be how you intended it. Free for eternity. Back with you, Father. So today I commit to follow you for the rest of my life. God for my other brothers and sisters in this room God I know there's all kinds of hopes in this room and you know every single hope intimately you know every detail of every single hope of every single heart and I just pray right now that each person in this room would feel connected with you that they would know that you're thinking about them that you think a lot about them that you've got time to think about them Lord, I pray that right now, whatever the obstacle is, that's standing in their way, I pray that it would begin to, to be taken captive. Those thoughts that they can't overcome will begin to be taken captive. And Lord, that it would bow at the feet of Jesus. That that thought would be made obedient to you, Jesus, and to your power. And Lord, that you would break strongholds. I pray that there would be people in this room that leave addictions in the room before they leave. Lord, I pray that there would be marriages that walk out of here holding hands, that came in here arguing. Lord, I pray that there would be strength given to moms and dads who are praying for their prodigal to, to return home, that you would bring renewed strength and a fresh vision and a fresh hope and a fresh prayer, God. All for your glory and for your name's sake. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We thank you that you are for us and you are with us. And it's in your precious name we pray, amen.